This is the TSN MMA Show with Aaron Bronstetter and Bazooka Joe Valtellini. Max Holloway takes on the future Hall of Famer. Chris Cyborg might have her last fight in the women's featherweight division. Will there continue to be a women's featherweight division? Leon Edwards beats RDA. Where does he fit into the title picture at welterweight? We also have Tanner Bozer, who's fighting at UFC 240, making his debut in Alberta native on the card in Edmonton, Alberta. Joe's with me this week. Very excited uh, as I'm heading out to Edmonton for this card uh, tomorrow morning uh, to cover this uh, this great week of, uh, of festivities. Yeah, Edmonton's fun. I've never been, but... Um, it's awesome. I might be going for a seminar in the next month, so I'm hoping to go out there and... I'm excited. The key is the next month because if you go in like the winter, it's dreadful. But in the summer, yeah, yeah. there's all these great trails. Like uh, bring like hiking shoes. There's all okay. these wonderful trails and mountains like and that. all kinds of stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, I've been into that. A lot of times when I go on my glory trips, I'm like, I'm, I've seen every church. I don't want to go into another <laughs> monument. I'm like, I've seen enough. So uh, lately I've been trying to go on little hikes. I mean, can't beat Denver for it. Right. I did a nice hike in China last time I was there. So I've been into more of these nature activities when I travel. Well, so Edmund that'd be perfect. Good for that. Yeah. And yeah. then you don't need to concentrate on glory if you're just there for yeah. uh, a and I think it's I think it's September, so uh, I'm going to try to figure out a day because we're still figuring out our next glory shows. But, uh, yeah, seminars out in Alberta. Awesome. Yeah, Edmonton's uh, – I was there last time. It was September, and it was beautiful. So uh, enjoy. Um, I just want to get your thoughts on a bunch of things. You know, yeah. we, we haven't done this in a while, and so much has happened. So while this might sound dated, we're going to rewind the tape a little bit and just go back to UFC 239 because I want to hear – your take first. Let's let's talk about Masvidal's five second knockout. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah. what when you saw that? How did you react? And I'm sure you saw how I reacted, yeah, yeah. like a deer in headlights because I didn't know what had happened. But I was with Israel Adesanya at the time, um, and uh, I was very confused because I didn't know what had happened at that moment. But tell me how you reacted when you saw it. Well, I jumped up. I think as a martial arts fan, you can't help but be excited about it. But then with pulse reflection, and this is what was what really stood out to me. If there was a little bit of respect between the two, a lot of guys touch gloves before. So if there was that little bit of respect and a touch of gloves, that knockout potentially wouldn't have happened. So, I mean, did the beef beforehand create the result of Masvidal knowing he's going to shoot in right away? So I think a lot of it came from that, that mental aspect of it. Because if you watch any of my fights, my biggest fear in life was getting that one-punch knockout from the start. So in any of my fights before, you'll see me raise my hand up to acknowledge to my opponent that I want to touch gloves because I don't want that type of punch. So, I mean, I think a lot of people need to start thinking about that as, 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 a, as an option, man, because to get hit like that off the start, it was incredible. I mean, you can't take that away. I mean, I think it would have been, I think he was out with the knee, the two shots. Okay, I get Masvidal's point that he has to put the, the exclamation mark on it, but it was a little excessive. But, uh, damn. It's probably the knockout of the year. Yeah, I mean, you can say it's excessive now, but if it's a five-second fight, the knee takes three seconds. Yep. I mean, think of that in real time. One, two, three, four, five. The ref is probably just as stunned as everybody else yeah. watching. Yeah, but um, a lot of guys will pull up. You'll yeah. see a lot of guys stop. That's Yeah, but in that situation with all that yeah. trash talk before. Oh, no, it's, it's fair. Not it was up. fair, yeah. but, I mean, it's big shots you know that I he actually, didn't need to take. You know what I thought set, set it up um, that's kind of a nuance that nobody really talks about with this thing? Askren, after the fact, said he was anticipating the, the idea of Masvidal possibly doing that because he, he had he done that against in the Till fight. Yeah. What Masvidal did when the fight first started was he had his hands behind his back and was walking to the side, almost to create the illusion that he wasn't going to rush forward, and yeah. then he rushed forward. Yeah, so just yeah, that yeah. one second, you know, one second setup to, to not come running right, at, right away, that might have been what allowed him to connect yeah. because it threw Askren off. I mean, I'm telling you, like, no one 
took into account the hand touch too. A lot of guys touch gloves before. So, I mean, if there was respect between the two and then you meet in the center of the ring before you fight and you touch, you just took that five-second knockout away. Yeah. So, I mean, that's an interesting fact. Uh, I mean, that, that really stood out to me. It's like I never thought about something like that because usually you'll go when there's that quick reaction, okay, but, I mean, if, if there was that little bit more respect and they touched, that, the, the, the situation could have been totally different. And I think that uh, what Masvidal was thinking before he planned to throw that was if you're fighting a guy who wrestling is really his only tool uh, where he's going to be able to beat you. Like, the only thing that Askren has an advantage markedly over Masvidal is, is the wrestling. What is a wrestler going to do when they're put into that kind of situation where you're rushing at them and they have to react immediately? Their first instinct is double or yeah. single. Yeah. And dip your head and go dip for your the head legs. And go. So, yeah. so what are you going to do in that situation that's going to be able to... because? If he just runs at him at, at you know full flight and doesn't throw a knee, he gets He's taken down taken pretty down easily. easily yeah. yeah. So, and I'm sure Askren had the, the mindset where if he runs at me, I'm going to take him down. Um, if he throws that same kind of kick, like he yeah. threw that he, he threw that kind of side kick, if I remember, it was against uh, Till. Yeah. So I think I think that you know Masvidal timed it obviously perfectly and was practicing it over and over again. Yeah. Like you do the repetitions, eventually it becomes muscle memory, and he just. He had he basically outsmarted Ben Askren. There's so many factors to that too. It's I mean, Askren one isn't a guy that's going to get close to you or clinch you before he takes down. He's gonna he's gonna shoot from a far distance. So even if Masvidal did a punch approach, he probably would have been taken down very easily. So it was the perfect strike to throw right off the bat like that. I mean. Like I said, that's uh, every fighter's worst nightmare to be caught with something early like that. But even as as a striker, I mean, I've been watching a lot of UFC lately, and the flying knee and the flying switch knee has become a weapon that it's been very effective. It's it's when guys are throwing it, they've landed with a lot of success. So even in my coaching at Bazooka, I've been mixing in a lot of that flying switch knee. It's really throwing guys off in in this last you know year of of striking. So, man, it's it's a deadly strike and. We got to add it to our repertoire. All right, so John Jones and uh, before we touch on Nunez and Holm, Jones versus Santos. Yeah, my thought on it was, if you're John Jones and you're the best fighter in the world, you need you need to finish that you guy. Need to show it. If he's if he's torn his MCL, ACL, PCL meniscus in the first round, yeah. and you don't get a finish, you know, a lot of people say, oh, you're 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 really disrespecting Thiago Santos by saying it was a Jones thing and not San- Santos being great. Well. I, I acknowledge that Santos was was great in that fight and that he went all five rounds, but I think that if Jones in that situation wants to prove that he's the best in the world, like you can destroy a, any fighter on planet Earth if you're as good as John Jones is when they t- have that injury in the first round. Yeah, and I mean, I don't understand his decision not to wrestle. I know he was saying, yeah, you know, I want to show that I can beat a world-class striker in his game, but you're John Jones. You Like, I totally agree with you. you got to go in. You have to be more dominant. I mean, I get what you did. I mean, but it wasn't to me. You go, you take him down, you get the finish, you show your dominance, and then you move on from there. Uh, I mean, I don't think it looked great. I didn't think it was a great technical fight for him. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I'm still trying to see now with uh, this USADA stuff and where Jones is going to fit in. I don't know. It's cur- I'm, I'm very interested, but I don't think it was the right approach. Take him down. Do what you have to do to get your finish. I mean, I'm also someone who believes in finishes. I, don't, I, I, in my career, hated decisions. So no matter who I was, I was always looking for a finish. So I kind of expect that from the, from the big guys. And then with Nunez, I mean, if you didn't already think she was the best in the world, which would probably make you feel pretty foolish before that anyways, 
she's the best in the world. Yeah. That was an unbelievable way to finish um, Holly Holm. Uh, you would think that with Holm, your strategy would be to try to take her down and submit her and not stay with her on her feet, which is really Holm's, obviously, her best way to win. But instead, she, uh, she beat her with kickboxing, yeah. <laughs> which is pretty yeah. unbelievable. Absolutely. And, I mean, it was the head kick, too, right? It was... Uh... It was set up from a nice head kick. I think they were expecting the power punches of Nunez, but bang, mixes up her kicks really well. She looked great. I mean, uh, I even hearing Dana White saying that Cyborg's scared to fight Nunez again. So, I mean, she's got a lot of fear in, in, in the women's division. Absolutely. Um, now we've also got the uh, John Jones uh, situation where he's being um, charged, I guess, with, uh, with batteries stemming from an incident back in April. Um, now, this is, uh, yeah, ESPN's reporting that the charge is a misdemeanor, so which means it's not that big of a deal. But when it's John, well, I mean, obviously it's a big deal. Anything it's a criminal John charge. Jones does but because it's, a John, because it's John Jones, the microscope comes out and you look at it and you think, what's John Jones doing at a strip club? You know, hitting, you know, servers do, or yeah, allegedly, or... yeah, being inappropriate with a waitress yeah. when we already know the kind of things that he's probably should be trying to avoid yeah. given his history. Didn't he come out on Twitter? I think his response was, don't believe everything you read. Yeah. So. Don't you think that's insulting? Like, as somebody who covers the sport, if the facts in front of me are that John Jones is being charged and there's a legal document, like... Address the problem, you're saying. Well, it's... Like, we don't tell John Jones... I mean, I, I know we said that he probably should have finished Santos, but, like, Jones is... You know, he has his job to do. His job is to go out and defeat an opponent. Our job as members of the media is to report the facts. We have from the police department, you know, yeah, in their database, yeah. it says that he's being charged with this, that this is the situation. These are, this is the date. This is what happened. I'm sure that they, somebody got a hold of uh, whatever the police report was. And, you know, because there's quotes from the, uh, the person that's, that filed these charges or reported the complaint or whatever it is. As members of the media, we're just doing our job. Like to, to say, don't believe everything you read. I feel like that casts a pretty negative light on the people that are just trying to do their job. Yeah. But the people sometimes doing their jobs can be really bad people. The clickbait, the you know, creating stories that aren't there. And I think a lot of fighters, I mean, me personally, I, I could agree with a lot of them. It's, there's a lot of bad media out there. So, I mean, I think a lot of fighters get really frustrated with the type of news that comes out about them. But it's also could be the story of the waitress that's in the police report that she's fabricating this big story, right? So... Mm-hmm. It still could be false in his mind, but like you said, we're just reporting facts as yeah. well. Yeah, address if, if them. You, if, if you're not yeah. happy with it, go on and address the problem. You know, face and, to and face. he kind of did. I mean, he went and said he's he's paid the fine. He says, uh, well, I, have, I have people. It doesn't mean anything. Yeah, but he says I have witnesses with me that will corroborate this evidence. Now, as you know, in these sort of establishments, there's cameras everywhere, so you know, who knows yeah. what actual evidence there is, and maybe who knows what you know. It's hard to really say what happened unless you were there. But at the same time, like all the people that have reported the story are doing are just reporting like facts that are readily available to the public. Right. Yeah, so it's not yeah. like we're, you know, people in the media are making this kind of thing up. Um, there are charges. That's what's being reported. Yeah. yeah so, yeah. Uh, you know, when you say don't believe everything that you read in the media, I mean, you can say, don't, you know, don't believe what this witness is saying or don't believe what this person is saying. I'm going to be cleared. But to say don't believe everything that you read to me is pointing at the media and saying that they're fabricating information when really all, all that's coming out are just facts. It's about just this. the facts of it. Yeah. yeah. I get it. But uh, the other question, though, is like what does the UFC do about this? Like the UFC has already thrown the code of conduct, which I don't believe exists, at John Jones. 
Um, and I plan on uh, on finding out, out what the code of conduct is. I think that it's yeah. important information. Hey, we, um, I mean, I mean, every organization you sign one. But I mean, at this point, you sign a code of conduct, or do you well, sign yeah. a contract? You, usually, within your contract, there's like a, um, a professionalism contract. So it'll be like, I will not, you know, try to. I will not swear in the corner. I will use professional language. I will not, you know, on my social media or anything I wear, not show religious or political beliefs, and um, and you get like fines, and that's how it's been with kickboxing in most places I've signed with. I mean, they're like, okay, if you sh- don't show up to, you know, press conference without a suit, that's a 10% of your purse deduction. So they threaten that way. And, I mean, that could be a way that the UFC does it too. But I'm not sure how the UFC does it, but I think it's a good idea. Well, here's my question to you. If you're the UFC, these charges are out there, do you put him in another fight in December like he wants to be? Do you think that, th- that there's enough here that would, you know, as a, a promotion – would you be able to say That's a tough question? Yeah. Would you be able it's to? Tough. Do you think that you'd be able to say I don't think we should do anything with this guy until we find out? The what problem the, what's is going I don't here. believe in what he did. Obviously, he shouldn't be hitting anybody. Never mind a female at, at a strip club. But uh, it's hard. You don't know the big story. Um, in the past, the way the UFC has gone, I'm I'm probably going to guarantee you they'll probably put him in a December card. Uh, but is it right? I don't think so. I mean. It's just tough. It's tough because it's who you are as an athlete and who you are outside. I know they're separate, but they're really connected at the same time. I don't know. What's your what's your take on it? Well, it's hard because if it was any other fighter that doesn't have a history, he would be suspended. A, well, no, if it's a misdemeanor, like I think that it, you know, you, you the, pr- the promotion usually looks past something like that. If it's like a felony, then it becomes a little bit more iffy. Uh, but because it's Jones. And we, you know, there is the history that you have to consider. Um, I, I mean, there's also the fact that this is a promotion and they're here to make money and that Jones isn't in jail. You know, if, if these charges do go through, maybe it ends up being a fine. Who knows? But uh, I'm sure they want to get this thing resolved uh, before they have him fight again. But I don't think that it's going to preclude them from putting him in another yeah, fight. Yeah, I don't think so either. So we'll see how it goes. And I don't know if that's the right or wrong decision either. Like, I, I think that if you are an NBA player and you get a misdemeanor charge, it's like a one or two game suspension. You know, you're not out for the year. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, they know only do, fight three Dana, times a year. They know I do what he did with McGregor when McGregor had the bus incident. We suspended him for six months. Yeah. He hasn't fought in six months, so we suspended him for six months. Yeah. But there's never any sort of like official suspension. Absolutely. They just say that so that it seems like something It seems like they're occurred. doing something about it. Yeah. But I mean, it sticks to you too, right? Look at Greg Hardy. I, I mean, still after how many years it's been with his domestic abuse charges, he still has that stigma on him, I feel. Yeah. I mean, it's really hard to get something like for that sure. off of his name, but I know they're different situations, but. I mean, you still got to take it seriously. For sure, but I also think that uh, a lot of that circumstance is a product of him not acknowledging that he did anything wrong. That's why I think a lot of people are hesitant to kind of give this guy a clean slate is because whenever he's asked about it, he doesn't really deny it, but he also never says, like, oh, I really should. My my past is behind me, and I really regret Mm -hmm. what I did. It's more like the past is the past. Now let's look forward to the future. I mean, you got to think how far mixed martial arts has come in this last little bit. I mean, all mixed martial artists at, I would say, even 10 years ago were criminals. Um, They were labeled as, you know, the stereotyped with mohawks and tattoos and and bad people and only wanting to get into fights. And we finally have changed the image of what a fighter. And we've now started talking about fighters as athletes and martial artists. So I think we've gone a good way. 
But there's always those few that are always going to play with that line. But we've gone in such a good direction. We've got to keep it that way. We've got to make it a family affair. we got to want it where kids. Like, if you're John Jones, regardless what you do, you're the biggest role model and ambassador for the sport. We expect a little bit more from you. Like, I mean, we do expect a little bit more like a GSP. Like, we've never seen. He was a great role model for the sport. He brought in that positivity that we're all looking for. But John Jones, I mean, he is his own character. It is working what he's doing. But... You have so many young kids and so many young people wanting to follow what you do. You need to follow yourself from a different code of standards. My opinion. Yeah. But the crazy thing about this Greg Hardy thing is that, like, if another player from the NFL, you know, who was a good player in the NFL, decided to go and come over to fighting and it would do is doing what Greg Hardy is doing, like it potentially being a top 10 heavyweight by the end of the year or by next year, like that's a pretty remarkable story that you're starting to learn martial arts like just a couple that, years yeah. ago and just the, the sheer athleticism is enough to propel you to those heights. I always said if NFL players came to the UFC, we'd be in trouble. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think they their natural ability to like how explosive they are off of a line, boom. That's got to help with your punching power, your kicking power, your explosiveness, your ability to, you know, to, to go recklessly and, 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 and powerful. You teach them a nice single or a nice double leg takedown to a, a running back, he's taking everybody down. I mean, that sheer power and athleticism and, and, the, and the, the punch and just teaching them a little bit of technique, I think we have superstars in them. I've always said it. Yeah, we saw Greg Hardy this past weekend uh, defeat Juan Adams. Juan mm-hmm. Adams, a guy with a Division One wrestling pedigree. Yeah, and he beat him in under a minute. Like that's. Yeah. And I think I think Juan Adams is good. Like yeah. I, you know, I think that um, this, you know, if you ask me about his previous opponent Smolikov, I would say he's not a top fifteen guy or anywhere close. His last one was Arjun Buller, wasn't it? Who Juan Adams? Yeah, Juan Adams. Yeah. he lost to Arjun. But I'm talking about Greg Hardy. Like, Greg Hardy's last fight against Smolyakov, I would have said, this guy's not really UFC material. His fight against Crowder, I'd say, this guy's a, a decent heavyweight, but he's not, you know. It, but one, Adams, I think, is a great win for Greg Hardy. I think yeah. it's, a, it's a statement win for him to do it in that kind of way. And it shows that he's ready to take on that next echelon of, yeah. of heavyweight. I agree. I, I hate those types of finishes, to be honest with you. I know I mentioned it a little earlier before the show, but it's one of those things I'm like, ah, okay. It's more of like a inexperienced finish, you know? Where it's like he grabbed the single, I'm just going to start punching from whatever position. I mean, it's great, it works. I think it was we a good saw, wizard though, and a good sprawl. We saw a little bit of that in like a, a Francis Nagano. Like you, Nagano's going to finish you that same way. If you grab Nagano's single leg, he's going to punch your head and, until it falls off, kind of thing. So I mean, it works with that heavyweight power, but I think it shows a little bit of inexperience still, where like. Some of the, the bigger guys aren't going to finish you that way yeah. kind of thing. And with Hardy, I think he's ready for a top 15 heavyweight. I think that a win over Juan Adams puts him in the conversation to face some. If you look at, like, the top, the top 15 heavyweights are not that impressive. Yeah. Like, if you look at, let, let's go. Like, one, where's, two, like, ten. someone like Walt Harris? Like Walt who, Harris, I think, is, almost, is probably in the top 10 now. But let's go look. I'm going to pull up the, 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 the wonderful UFC rankings, which I think so highly of. Uh, all right, we got 10 through. Let, here's, here's 10 through 15. You tell me which of these guys you think that he can that Hardy can beat. Blagoy Ivanov is number ten. Okay, he just moved up a spot too. Yeah, I think that one's a tough ask. I think that would be a little bit too high of a of a. I, not that Hardy can't beat him, but I think that a guy like Ivanov who has really good wrestling like that. Not not that he didn't just beat a former Division One wrestler, but number eleven, Walt Harris. Do you think he could beat Walt Harris based on what we saw this weekend? I think with that simple power, yeah, I guess, but. Walt looked good too. Yeah, Walt's thirty six, but 
Yeah, it also comes from a sports background. He was a former basketball player. But uh, Alexei Olenek, number 12. Yeah, I think he finishes him. Tai Tuivasa. Uh, I just think the size uh, of Hardy is just the big factor. Like, Tuivasa's good, and he's aggressive, and he's tough, but Hardy's just a big heavyweight. Yeah. So I think, and you know what? You might be right. I might have to give slight edge to Hardy even on that show. Yeah, another great fight. I think he could beat him. And Augusto Zakai, I think he's another contender series guy. So when you look from the uh, top 15 down, and also, if you're, um, like, if you are doing these rankings, and you've got Augusto Sakai at 15 because he beat Andre Arlovsky or whatever, like, you probably should put Greg Hardy above him, in my opinion, but I, yeah. I feel like because of the stigma with Greg Hardy uh, of his past him. actions, it's going to keep him out of the top 15. Yeah. But I think, you know, the, the people who do the rankings are often swayed by, if you beat a guy with a number beside their name, you kind of leapfrog them. Yeah. So. But it's also, I mean, um, the experience of his overall record. you got to think Hardy has, what, five, six fights? Yeah, overall. where like Olenek has had like fifty fights, you yeah, know, no, like, more than that. Yeah, <laughs> I think it's like seventy-five fights. Jeez, like yeah. I mean, I saw his record. I was like, it's crazy. So I think the experience plays a factor on where he's ranked as well. Now I think him and Olenek are uh, training partners, so I don't know if that one would happen. But uh, Olenek just looks so he, slow and so heavy on his feet. Like Walt would just explosive, you know. I mean. Olenek looked bad to me. Yeah, well, Olenek has looked like that for years, though. Like yeah. He's he's an older guy, yeah. and uh, sometimes that works to his advantage. He kind of does things slowly and ends up finding ways to beat people off his back and things like that. But Walt Harris is the type of guy that likes to keep it on the feet, so that's where Olenek has a lot of issues against uh, competitions such as that. Um, what else do we have uh, from that card? We had uh, You mentioned the Harris and Olenek. We kind of touched on that, but the main event... Well, uh, Leon Edwards ends up beating uh, Rafael Dos Anjos. Now, the question that I have for you is, a guy that consistently wins decisions and has that kind of a streak. And the streak we're talking about Edwards being eight, eight, eight in a row. Eight win streak. Yeah, yeah. Eight, eight in a row. He's now ranked number four. Is this a guy that you ever see getting into the title picture based on how he's winning fights? I know. I hear everybody talking about it. Uh, it's, um, he's in a division now which is really backed up for title shots. So it's going to be tough for him to kind of make a statement to get there because, I mean, you have Colby Covington um, coming up, and it's based on his fight, what happens there. You have Masvidal now um, waiting in line after that finish. So I know he, after in his post-fight, called out Masvidal, but, I mean, Masvidal... three and he's number four, but if I'm Masvidal, Masvidal, I don't take that fight. No, because it's almost behind. It's almost one step down for him um, in a weird way, but... I think anyways, we have a, a, a potential within, in 2020, maybe by the end of the year, we'll see him for a title shot, you I know, feel. You know what I think the UFC should do? They should call up Tyron Woodley and say, we have Leon Edwards for you. Masvidal's not going to fight you because he wants to fight for the title um, or he wants to fight Connor. So he, he's, he's sitting back. Um, they're also managed by the same people, Masvidal and Woodley. Um, Covington uh, is fighting Lawler and... Uh, you know, the winner will get Usman, most the, likely. The winner right? might get Usman, depending on what happens with Masvidal and how that fight is won. But I would call would I would call him and say, "Listen, Tyron, we want you to fight Leon Edwards." Like that that's a fight that makes all the sense in the world to me. Yeah. Because I think those are two guys that the UFC would have a, a bit of a hesitation to put into a title picture. You know, give yeah. give a title shot to at least have one of them take the other one out. Yeah. It's interesting because I, I've listened to a few journalists um, on this topic. You're one of the only ones that brought up Woodley. I think, Yeah, Woodley is kind of the forgotten guy. And it makes a lot of sense. It, 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 it's weird that you say that, but he's absolutely forgotten. Yeah. 
He hasn't even been talked about in this next yeah. top it's four or five. It's funny thing is I spoke to Woodley at International Fight Week, and he goes, yeah, I think I'm going to fight Usman in November at, International, at, you know, at Madison Square Garden. Now, I don't know if this is just like manifest di- destiny or uh, what it is, but I don't think that that fight's going to happen. And if that fight doesn't happen, I think that a, a Leon Edwards versus Woodley fight makes all the sense in the world. Yeah, and Woodley's still ranked one on the rankings. Yeah, either that or you take Edwards and put him up against Darren Till in the UK. Like, that's another one that would make... But um, listening to Edwards' um, post-fight, he doesn't want any other fight. He's really looking at Usman or Masvidal as his next two. But the problem with Leon Edwards is, like, Masvidal, I think, right now has actual leverage. Like, I think that he's a guy that right now— he's marketable now, too. He's hot. This is the hottest he's ever been. Whereas Leon Edwards, I think after this weekend, people are going to stop talking about him. Yeah. I just think that because of how he wins, and honestly, I was incredibly impressed by him. I thought that— you know, I thought RDA was going to win that fight, so and, I, I? and I scored at 49-46 for Edwards, and it could have been 50-45, and I would have been fine yeah, with it. I think some of the judges did give it 50-45, yeah. right? Yeah, and people, people, people on Twitter don't know what they're talking about, but I gave uh, Edwards, I think it was the second round or something, or the third round, where people were like, oh, no, it's RDA, you don't know, what, what, are you, what fight are you watching, guy? Yeah. But uh, whatever. Uh, you know, those people get to you, Aaron? No, let them get to you. I, I just find, like... People, people with judging often are dumb. There's the people that say, this fight should be a split decision. It's the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. Yeah. Well, even Why should me, it be a split decision? Why? Well, even when I do a parlay sometimes for fun and I'm at home and I'm like, I, I'm only looking at the guy I want to win. So I'm yeah, biased exactly. a lot of times too. So but maybe the, they're in the same boat, right? The people who say I, that, should be a, that should have been a split decision are the dumbest people on planet Earth. Oh, I agree. Like, why I, should, I was half asleep why should and it have been, been like, it? If it's a close fight... But all three judges give it whatever, 29, 28 to one guy. That doesn't mean it should be a split decision. It doesn't mean that one judge should have thought the other guy won because it was so close. Yeah. They judge it how they judge it. Yep. And a lot of these fights also where there's three rounds and one guy is 30-27 and then the other, like let's say it's 30-27 or uh, RDA. And then the other two judges give it 29-28 Edwards and Edwards wins. People are always like, what's that other judge? Why would that other judge give it 30-27 for RDA? It's like, because nothing happened in the fight. Yeah. It's three rounds of guys staring at each other. Yeah. This fight is not an example of that. No, no, but no, let's no, say but it's, exactly let's say it's Till is. versus Wonderboy. Like, that's an example where if, if two, one judge had a 50-45 Thompson, and, uh, well, Thompson lost one of those rounds definitively. But either way, if two of them had a 50-45 Till and the other one had a 49-46 Thompson, you can't really get... Overly mad at that because there wasn't a whole lot that happened. The in that action fight. that happened, yeah. But that's where they're saying like you should kind of gauge your the fight as a whole, not individual rounds, right? Mm-hmm. Which sometimes I could get. Yeah. I understand that's that. That's the like, pride rules. Like I mean, sometimes if like say the first three rounds in a five rounder, the first three rounds very close, you may have landed a few extra strikes, and most of the judges gave those early three rounds to one guy. But in the last two rounds, the other guy puts a beating on you, cuts you open, smashes you up, almost hurts you. You win the last two rounds, but you still lost the fight. Now, if these commissions weren't terrible at doing math, I would be a, a big fan of the half point system. I think that a half point system makes a lot. Yeah. Like you have ten, like ten nine and a half for a close round. Yeah. Ten I, nine for not I think, as close. I think 10, judges and in, uh, are scared to give a ten eight. I think you have to give it. I feel like that's going to kind of help, kind of you know, not make a a split decision when one guy obviously won. Give a ten eight if it was you know somewhat of a dominant um, round for that fighter for sure. Um, you were watching uh, a lot of San Anto- the San Antonio card, but uh, ten decisions. It's an, it sets it ties a record. Yeah, and there were nine in a row, which is a new record for the most consecutive 
decisions in UFC Until, history. Until uh, Dan Hooker stopped oh, it. Oh, man, that was a slog. Yeah. Getting through nine decisions is not fun. Yeah, I, I guilty of it. I was able to watch most of them, but I fell asleep in that main event. Yeah. Guilty. He but, well, uh, that, what's that say about Leon Edwards? I know. Yeah. I mean, I think I would have fell asleep during anybody liked, at that you time. You would have liked a lot of Leon Edwards' exits. Like, he had a lot of really good exits where he elbowed off the exit. Yeah, yeah. He was using his elbows probably better than, you know, 95% of fighters in the UFC. He was using it as such an effective weapon. Leon Edwards is one of those guys where I always forget how good he is. Like, when I when I was watching him against Dos Anjos, yeah, I was like, I, agree. I was like, wow, this guy's really good. Yeah. Like, I, I thought he was going to lose. I didn't think he had the, what it takes to, to beat someone like a, an experienced OG, like... Yeah. You know, RDA. And now I guess RDA is just relegated to being a gatekeeper again. Yeah. Like I, I don't know where he goes from here. I mean, I know a lot of people talk about what an actual gatekeeper is, but uh, RDA, man, I still, it's just talented. Age catches up. And what, what really shocked me about Edwards is he never had a martial arts growing up. His first martial art was MMA. So, I mean, it's pretty impressive to yeah. see how fast and how good he's become just doing, you know, not having that traditional background in either wrestling because he can wrestle well, he can strike mm-hmm. well. He does everything, you know, above average, which is which makes him, I think, his best attribute. Yeah, he's one of those guys where if it was like a video game, he'd have like a seven and everything. Yeah, so yeah, <laughs> nothing's exceptional. Yeah. Like his striking isn't exceptional. It's good. His, his wrestling is good, not great, you know. So I think he's just above average in everything, and that just makes him dangerous. I mean, I'm I'm excited to see um, some matchups for him in the future, but I think his ability not to entertain. I mean, but how? But then again, I, I've heard that his ability to entertain. He got into a, a street fight with Masvidal, you know, backstage. That wasn't even enough for him, you know. Yeah. So what? It what does really this he have He, he kind of got hit with three punches, and then that eh, was it. But we can call yeah. it a street fight. Yeah. Make it make it more entertaining for the guy. Yeah. But uh, I mean, he he started yelling at Masvidal while the guy was doing an interview backstage. Like, what else can you do? You yeah. know what I mean? He's trying. He's doing everything he can. I think he's confident. Um, he's trying to be a little bit more out there, but uh, eight wins in a row, he just needs to keep his head down before he knows it. You know, he'll he'll have that yeah, shot. I mean, eventually you got to give the guy a title shot if you win mm-hmm. nine, ten in a row. But the issue is, like, how many do you do? Eventually that luck right might run out. Now you're fighting the killers in like, the division, Masvidal's right? Masvidal's won two in a row, yeah. you know, and now he's like I'm still shocked attention. with Masvidal. Don't get me wrong. I'm still shocked at how he's, you know, had... But he is a guy that... <sighs> you kind of appreciate in the sport because it's not like a guy that just came from nowhere and came yeah. up. He's been, he's been around backyard fighting to different organizations. So he's one of those genuine guys that deserves a world title shot. He's put enough in the sport. He's, you know, he's, he's really dedicated himself to it. He deserves that shot. And a lot of people would say the same thing about Frankie Edgar, who's challenging yep. uh, Max Holloway for the title. Now, Volkanovski to me was the guy who should have gotten that shot. Yep. Um, I think that a lot of people would say that. But I also, I've, I've kind of explained this before. Just because Volkanovski deserves it doesn't mean that Edgar doesn't also deserve it. Yeah, it's, he's a it's company weird. man, you know. He's yeah, a, he's just been around forever. He's a Hall of Famer. Um, probably they, they his one of his last event. shots yeah, at it. It probably is his, his last shot. Yeah. you know, unless he moved down to Bantamweight Volkanovski or something. might have another couple shots in the future, so I don't sure. mind that decision. And the, the thing about this one that I think uh, a lot of people aren't um, taking into account is this is, I think, by far the best wrestler that Holloway's fought. Mm-hmm. Like if you if you go down the the, you know, from top to bottom of, of the, at least the featherweights that he's fought, just looking at it, like, I, I can't see a single guy that you could say is even close to the level of wrestler 
that uh, that a guy like Frankie Edgar is. They're just most of the guys he's fought are strikers. And the um, way Frankie Edgar like attacks you with the angles, the in and out, I think he gives Max some good problems. Yeah, this is going to be a fun one. I really, I think that a lot of people are overlooking Edgar here, and I might end up sounding stupid uh, eventually. But um, let's let me just take a look at the odds here because I think that they're they're fairly off. I think I think Holloway's like a four or five to one favorite now, and I just think that that's. Yeah, yeah, he's like almost a five. Oh, sorry, I'm looking at the wrong. You guy. can never count. He's a four to one favorite, and Edgar's plus three twenty. Like that's a pretty good number for Frankie Edgar. UFC needs to fix their rankings on their site. Man. Has Frankie Edgar ever been this big of an underdog? Let's take I a look. I can't think about. I don't it. think so. Uh, he fought. Just looking, I mean, I can't see anything. He was a big favorite over Faber. I think the last time he was this big of an underdog was the first time he fought BJ Penn. He was like a. A, a pretty big underdog. He was, yeah, he was plus 700 <laughs> the first time he fought BJ Penn. And he beat BJ, and didn't he? Beat he? BJ yeah. Penn. And then the next time he fought BJ Penn, he was like plus 260, which is around where he's at for this fight. It's a little bit better, but, and he won that fight too. So Edgar's the type of guy where when he's an underdog, he comes out and he wins. So uh, not not to say that he's going to win this fight, but I do think that a lot of people are sleeping on Frankie Edgar going into this one. Yeah, I agree with you. Because a lot I of think people you say, can never how, count how Frankie can he win out. this fight? A lot of people say, oh, how can he win this fight? Because they're picturing so Max many pulverizing options. him yeah. 100%. Especially since Max likes to come forward, almost kind of pressure you. Frankie Edgar's angles, his movement, his ability to take you down, his mixing of his, his, you know, his strikes, I think he's got a great chance. And then people are pointing to Edgar's chin. Because he got finished by Ortega. Yeah. That was a vicious elbow that yeah. came out of nowhere. Yeah. That would have knocked out anybody. Yeah. Um, but he and, had a and quick other turnaround. Than that, Edgar and hasn't up, been knocked out. But who was uh, Edgar's quick turnaround Cub. after that knockout? Yeah. The Cub's a big hitter, too. And he yeah. went in and he won that fight, right? Yeah. And it was a rematch. And that was a fight that he probably should have won. Um, and it's a fight that people say, well, how do you get a title shot off of. Cup Swanson. Well, you got to look at the body of work. Yeah, that's that's exactly the point. Look at his history. Look what he's done for the sport. Look what he's done for the division. Look who he's fought. That that's a guy who deserves it. Let him go out, you know, as 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 the as his last chance at another world title. Mm-hmm. I think it's a great decision. And then the uh, the biggest favorite on the card, Chris Cyborg against undefeated Canadian Felicia Spencer in the co-main event. Now, the thing that interests me about this is. Not what happens during the fight, it's what happens after the fight. Because this is the last fight on Cyborg's contract, and uh, she says she's willing to test free agency. She wants to test free agency. And you can already see Dana White planting seeds. He's saying, Cyborg didn't want that fight with Nunez. Cyborg yeah, rejected yeah, yeah, that yeah. fight with Nunez. Nunez is going out saying, Cyborg didn't want to fight me. It's strategic on Dana's part, it's 100%, for sure. 100%. Th- th- this is a two-pronged attack from Dana White. Because what you're doing now is you're telling you're you're telling the world that Cyborg is afraid to fight Amanda Nunes. Yeah, so in which Cyborg's to mind, call a she's fighter like, scared. In is Cyborg's mind, she's like, I'm, I'm not afraid to fight anybody. I'm Chris Cyborg. Yeah. And then on the flip side of that, he's lowering her stock in order to get a better price on her when they resign, or sure. or to diminish her stock to other organizations. Yep. Nailed so it. Cyborg now holds the cards where she fights. If she ends up mopping the floor with Felicia Spencer, like, like the odds would indicate, and I'm not trying to write off Felicia Spencer here because I think Felicia Spencer is a very good fighter, but if Cyborg ends up beating Spencer in the first round, if she grabs that microphone, she just needs to say, I want Amanda Nunes next. This company needs to pay me. Yeah. Now, now you fired back. Yeah, and, and this is how good I am. a big payday out of it, yeah. too. Because if she ends up leaving, this division is done. Yeah. There is no point of having a women's featherweight division without Cyborg. Nunes wants to fight at 35. If she defends the title at 45, who's she going to defend it against? Yeah, Spencer's coming done. off a loss. Megan Anderson's coming off a loss. That is, of course, if Cyborg beats Felicia Spencer. Yeah. 
there's no 45ers. Which like, I mean, no, with Cyborg legit, leaving, though, the division is basically it's done. Dead. There, would be, there would be two 45ers in the division. It would be Megan Anderson and Felicia Spencer who have already fought each other and uh, who Nunez won't prove anything by beating if they're both coming off losses. Yeah. So, I mean, with Cyborg, though, like, where she, I, I mean, I guess she could be a big draw in Japan. Like the yeah, rising she could, cards. She could go to rising. She could do one. one. She could go to Bellator, who has an established 145 women's divisions with like eight or nine fighters. Yeah, in but it. all their champions have come and got beat up in the UFC, haven't they? Or no? No, not really. Uh, the, more invicted. They're 45ers. Girls. Yeah, they're 45ers. Are Julia Budd for the most part? Um, you have the girl that Julia Budd just beat. You have Leslie Smith. I think her last fight was at 45 um, against Sinead Kavanaugh, who fought at 45. Um, so they've got like a couple. But they, even, even in Asia, too. like if she decides to do the Ryzen, like there's not many other girls out there. Yeah, she's not going to fight Gabby Garcia. It's her good friend. Yeah, and I mean that weight difference is huge too. Yeah. So Julia Budd, I think regardless, mind. it's going to be tough for her to find. I mean, I think at one point she was playing around with boxing, but it's too different. I think, you know, and and even her friend is her boxing partner, Clarissa Shields. Yeah, like, exactly. They train together. I mean, would she make that much money in boxing, anyways, in her age and well, stuff, women's right? boxing doesn't pay like men's boxing. Does. No, it totally it's, doesn't. It's like nothing. Yeah. So I mean, maybe for a crossover fight or something, but uh, yeah, I don't know. It's it, it's tough for her. We'll see what's. It's been her whole career like that, though. It's not like it's something new. She can never get fights. They do Cyborg versus Mayweather at uh, Ryzen. There you crossover go. Crossover fight. Oh man. <laughs> I mean, it could be fun. How old is in Cyborg, MMA. by the way? Cyborg is now uh, late thirties. 34. That's it? She's She just turned 34, yeah. Same age as me. It seems like she's been around for a while. 1985. Yeah. Man, I'm looking good for my age these days. Yeah, I'm looking young. In, yeah, she's like six days younger than my sister. Yeah, she looks She looks a lot older. Well, she's been around for some time. and uh, But just looking at her background, like her background, like 20 straight wins, like it's pretty unbelievable. Yeah. So, uh We'll have to see how that goes, but I, I do think that she kind of controls her own destiny now. Like I think that if she gets a really good win and she gets on the microphone and calls out Nunes and also calls she out the UFC, to. that's what you got to do. Because right now, the UFC, it seems, are trying to lower her stock a little bit on the way out. It's just crazy to see, though, how um, someone like Felicia Spencer could already get a co-main event spot. And, I mean, the women's oh. division, I mean. Well, because she's, I think, a Canadian, and it's a Canadian fight. I remember her talking, though. She's... She's playing up the Canadian part for this one. Apparently, yeah, she, she lives in the States. She moved to Florida when she was like a kid. Yeah. <laughs> but she hey, had the Canadian flag. She had the Canadian flag, though, when she beat Megan Anderson. Yeah. She walked out to the fly, to the, the cage right. with the Canadian flag. She, own she, it, girl. Yeah, she has always considered herself to be a uh, Canadian. So, all right. you know. We'll, we'll adopt her for a little bit. Exactly. So, uh, she has three straight wins all by rear naked choke. Uh, I do think that if this goes to the ground, if she's able to get Cyborg to the ground, who knows what happens? Yeah, because her grappling seems to be really good, and she also has a karate background, so it's not like her striking is completely. Well, the, inept. the best thing about karate is that distance control. So you're not going to want to sit there and let Cyborg punch you at all. Yeah. So either in or out, grappler. But even in the clinch, Cyborg's nasty in the clinch. Like mm-hmm. it, it's very hard to get into clinch with Cyborg and then try to take her down. The chances of taking her down from the outside, yeah, could be tough. You're going to eat some big punches, so. Man, good luck. Yeah, I do feel like Felicia Spencer is being a little bit overlooked here, though. I do, you know, I think that uh, people are already kind of having it as a foregone conclusion that she's going to lose this fight, which I think is unfair. Yeah, well, because I just feel like people don't know much about her either, and they don't really know what she can do. So we'll have to see. We'll see on Saturday what she can do. <laughs> I mean, there's, there's no better testing ground than Cyborg. Yeah, and I love her mentality. Like. She has an opportunity to fight one of the best pound-for-pound women in the world. She's jumping on it. She's taking it. She's training hard for it. That's a true fighter. She's not intimidated. She knows that, like, hey, 
I think in her mind, it even win or loss, she just fought the best woman in the world. That's a, that's a huge accomplishment in, in anyone's resume. Mm -hmm. So good on good on Felicia Spencer for sure. No, people weren't lining up to fight Cyborg. No, sure. and she's like, she, man, to say that you fought the best fighter in the world that's that's huge. Mm -hmm. That's an, a massive uh, accomplishment. So regardless what happens, she fought Cyborg. She could always have that on her resume. So. Now the rest of this card is lacking in meat a little bit. You, you know, they've got a good amount of Canadians on the card. You got Spencer, you got uh, Olivier Oban Mercier, you got Marc Andre Berrio, you've got uh, Hakim Dawodu, yeah, they're Gavin all, Tucker. Uh, prelims, right? Yeah, I was excited to see Gavin Tucker back. Yeah, I mean, we've been following each other for a while since I think we interviewed him here. Yeah, he's been. Uh, yeah, we interviewed him here, and then since then we started following each other on social media, and I was like. I know he lost his last one by a pretty bad knockout, yeah, and I was, was really a little. Bad. And it was in Edmonton. Yeah, and I was nervous that he wasn't going to come back. And I've been seeing his strength. I think his style, man. I'm a big fan of his. I, he, he can fight both ways. He can fight southpaw orthodox. He can kick fight. He can box well. I mean, I'm excited. I think he's a great prospect. I just hope that knockout didn't, you know, um, change his path yeah. by any way. Hopefully, well, the long break helped him because I'm a, I'm a big believer in Gavin Tucker. He was being compared to Dominic Cruz in terms of yeah. his footwork and all of that. And, Amazing. And then uh, he has that one loss. And nobody's talking about yeah, him. I'm going to try to get him to Bazooka one day. Now he's 33 now, so he's he got yeah. a couple years left. To, yeah, he uh, trains to show what he with um, Crew Ash, um, the same guys that does Roy McDonald striking yeah. in Muay Thai. And yeah, I out in Montreal. He's, yeah. he's been going back and forth half through Montreal and half uh, in. Yeah. I think it's I got to get him to Bazooka one day. Yeah. yeah, yeah I so uh, looking forward to seeing his return. Hopefully it goes better for him than it did last time in Edmonton. That's <laughs> not fun uh, to have to go back into that same arena, same cage, given what happened to him last time. What, so uh, what, what, do can you, what can you tell me about uh, Hakeem's opponent? Not much. I mean, his name is uh, Yoshinori Hori. He fights, fought at Pancrase, okay. and uh, he's being brought in on short notice, but he's a guy that gets a lot of knockouts, like a lot of finishes, and he's apparently a bit of a wild man, so that's going to be fun to watch. But Hakeem's power, yeah. I'm sure they expect Hakeem's like that. a 5-1 to favorite in this one, yeah. so... We'll have to see. Good low kicks. I mean, he's fighting in in his uh, his province, so uh, always mean mugging. And then uh, another guy on the card is opening up the event. Tanner Bozer uh, from Edmund, uh, sorry, from Alberta, um, heavyweight, and uh, with Arjun Buller now going over to one championship. Yeah, I was surprised yeah. about that. We've got Bozer representing Canada as a, as a heavyweight, and he joins us now on the TSN MMA show. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time to introduce this week's guest. All right, welcome to the UFC, Tanner the Bulldozer Bozer, getting to fight in your home province, Edmonton. Is that exciting for you? Yeah, it's uh, it's really cool. You know, getting to have my UFC debut in my home city is a big deal. You're from Edmonton. I I think I saw you were from like about an hour out. Is that right? Yeah, I live a. I grew up a few hours away in a town called Bonneville, and I've lived in Edmonton since 2013. So coming up on six years here. Oh wow! So you've been training out there and everything. Out, out Edmonton? Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I live here. I've lived here for quite a while. All right. Well, you've been in this game for almost seven years now. Uh, why do you think it took so long for you to get to the UFC? I don't know. I, it doesn't matter. The, the road I take is uh, the road, road I took. So, I mean, I've, I've fought a lot of good guys, and I've fought all over the world. I like the way my careers went. I don't know why it took so long, but I don't care. I'm here now. Yeah, I'm looking at your resume. You fought guys like DJ Linderman, uh, Tony Lopez, Chase Gormley. These guys have been around the game for some time. I have fought very high-level guys, uh, you know, of course, prior to fighting you. Yeah, yeah. I've, uh, I've fought a lot of guys that are 
some of the best guys in the world that people around here might not even know about. You know, guys like Mukhamed Bukayev and um, Dennis Smolderev, uh, or Selim Gary Razalov, as well as the guys you've mentioned. I've been fighting top guys for years. I know that the Edmonton Commission has been shaken up. Uh, you, you fought Tim Haig twice. May he rest in peace. Um, we, we saw what happened uh, with him involving the Edmonton Commission. Um, did you have any hesitations about fighting in Edmonton? Uh, I know the commission's kind of changed, but since then? No. That there was a moratorium for a little while where there was no combat sports in the city for like, uh, I don't know how long it lasted for, like half a year. Um, no, it, in my opinion, like, it, don't get, it was extremely tragic. It, it's a, it was a very sad uh, circumstances and an extremely devastating outcome for, you know, his family. He had, he had a young son, but I don't, I don't. And I mean, who, I don't know anything. I'm not his family. I'm not a legal person. I'm not even smart. But I don't. I don't blame the commission. It was a. It was certainly um, a situation where the commission probably should have suspended him, though. I mean, based on the research that I've done, it seems like uh, he yep. shouldn't have been out there. You're right. Um, he had suffered several knockouts near the end, and yeah, the commission probably probably shouldn't have allowed him to fight without like an MRI or you know um, a bunch of extra brain tests yeah no probably I guess in that capacity you're right the commission definitely uh, definitely dropped the ball I mean, another thing is just that fighters are very one, you know, single-minded. You have a fight in front of you, you want to take it, and I understand that. So that's why I guess the commission's job is to take care of the fighters in, in that regard. Um, so, so with this particular fight, training in Edmonton and uh, and getting to fight in front of that hometown crowd, um, how many people do you think are going to be there to watch you? You're the first fight of the night. Uh, it's heavyweight. It's always exciting. Uh, how many people are going to be there to, you know, as part of Team Bulldozer? Um, I, I guess two to three hundred. Probably, judging on the amount of people that usually would come down to watch me uh, fight in Unified when I would uh, fight here for Unified, yeah, a lot of Bonneville is going to come down, and uh, you know, a lot of my friends and uh, people I know that live in Edmonton. So I assume there's going to be going to be a pretty good showing for me. I know that uh, one fighter that I thought should have been considered was Teddy Ash, and from what I understand, he's he's actually signed with the same management as you and is, is now fighting uh, on the Contender Series. Is that correct? Yeah, he's uh, got a Contender Series fight August 27th. That's very exciting. Um, was he at least relieved to uh, get to fight uh, on the Contender Series, given that he was unable to get a slot on this particular card? Yes, he's, uh, he's excited. He's training hard. Um, he's got a good opponent in front of him, and there's no way that that's not an exciting fight. Teddy doesn't know how to have a fight that's not, you know, extremely crowd-pleasing. And uh, the guy he's fighting, Dusko Hodovich, uh, or whatever his name is, that guy is very dynamic. He's explosive. He's exciting. It's going to be a very good uh, very good fight. So, yeah, Teddy's Teddy's ready to go, and he's excited. Well, it's pretty cool because I think I'm not 100% sure if there's any Canadians fighting before him on the Contender Series, but he might be the first Canadian to win on the Contender Series, which must be pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, he definitely can be. I, I'm confident in him, and he's confident in himself, so uh, I guess we'll see in just over a month's time. What are some, what's something that you would want a Canadian audience to know about you, to know about uh, 
either your upbringing in the fight game, some of the things you do outside of uh, outside of fighting. If there was something you wanted to tell people in Canada about you that that gets to know you as a person, is there anything along those lines you can think of? No, there's not. I have no idea. <laughs> Springing that one on me right now, I have no idea what I would say. I don't oh. got an answer. Okay. <laughs> is there anything cool about your gym? Anything anything that you do that's different in training that some other people might not do? Oh, I don't know. Our coaches kill us for cardio. We do a lot of uh, a lot of conditioning, but I mean, everybody everybody trains hard. Everybody's here to win, and I uh, I, I don't know. I, I like stay, staying with my my coaches and my relatively small gym. We're growing. We have a very good fight team, a very strong fight team, and a lot of guys are kind of supposed to have breakout moments here right away. You know, like you said, you got t- uh, Teddy. Going on the contender series, we have KB Buller and Graham Park going to fight for titles and unified. You never know what's next for guys like that. Christian Larson also. Uh, we got um, we got Spencer Jeb fighting in M1. Uh, the fighters we do have are very skilled and uh, reasonably high profile in a lot of cases. You know, uh, Alyssa Cron even she's uh, got signed to Invicta recently. So, no, I. I I think everybody trains hard and everybody's got a little bit of a different recipe, but we just um, train with our, with our small group, with our coaches that we have complete faith in. And uh, we just, just uh, work together and we all make each other better. You know, I saw you did a Canadian bottle cap challenge. You kicked a Tim Hortons cup out of someone's hand. I like that. That's, that was pretty good on Canada yeah, day. Yeah. yeah. Thanks. Yeah. It was very festive. Absolutely. Uh, well, it's good to have you fighting in Edmonton. It's always good when uh, the UFC comes to Canada and, and take fighters from the different cities. I know Hakeem Dawood, who's from nearby Calgary, so it's good to see him on the card as well. And uh, we look forward to seeing you uh, compete, and I look forward to speaking with you this week. Okay, yeah, thank you very much. Thanks for having me. That was Tanner Bozer taking on uh, another newcomer at uh, UFC 240, Glacomo Lemos, I think is his name. I don't know much about this guy. I haven't uh, done my... Studying yet for uh, for this card just yet. Let me let me look this. Yeah, Giacomo Lemos, another newcomer. Hmm. Don't know much about him, but uh, Tanner the Bulldozer Bozer, excited for his debut. Um, let's take a look at uh, our uh, our last picks. Uh, we did well, except actually, you know what? I have to add some money because I didn't have the uh, the Archuleta part of this in here. So I'm going to add that. So I thought it was like plus one ten would have gotten me. So that would have so. I'm going to add, it ended up being plus 224, so I've got to add another $12 here. So, so Joe, I've got $125. You made you, a big comeback. You were at like 70 yeah, bucks at one point. I'm, I'm on a roll right now. Yeah, I don't want to jinx it. I'm going to start making your picks when I watch the fights. <laughs> so I had a Horaguchi Archuleta parlay at plus 224, and then I had uh, a Rosenstruck win. Actually, I just have Rosenstruck written down here too, but I, I'll just go with what this is. I think, that, I think this is where we're at. Unless I just wrote it down when we were recording the show, but whatever, we'll go with that. And then you had uh, Rory McDonald and Rob Font, and you have $105. And the Rob Font, I guess that just goes that as that's, a, yeah, a, a nothing. Yeah. So uh, I'm going to write down our picks now, Joe, so that we don't, we don't mess around for next week. That's it. So yeah. uh, who do you like? U- UFC 240? Um, I'm actually liking Gavin Tucker. Um, I like Gavin Tuff- Tucker as uh, my pick. He's minus 125. But um, I'm debating on Eric Coach. Who, Eric say, Coke? Yeah, uh, Coke. Coke. I said yeah. it wrong again. You yeah. corrected me earlier, and I still yeah, got it no wrong. Worries. Eric Coke. Eric Coke. I'm, I'm thinking. I'm thinking of uh, putting that together. Coke uh, and it's uh, even Tucker? money. I think it's even money, 
Um, we haven't seen Coke in a while, but uh, let's do it. You're going to put them together? I'm going to put them as a parlay. Okay, so let's just see what that... Uh, so we got an Eric Coke and Gavin Tucker parlay for Joe. Joe, Now Joe's in chip-away mode. Yeah, I need to start chipping away. You're, you're, you got a little too excited here saying that you're on top, so I need to try to find my way back. Plus 260s. That, that'll get you into good shape. All right, let's do it. I like so it. Tucker minus 225 and Coke, Coke come plus on. 100. Rufus Sport. You know, he's got, he's in good training. You know, he's, he's got Duke Rufus in his corner. I'm trusting them. So what did I say? It was plus 260? Yeah. Yeah. So I'm going to just go with a, with an underdog that's even more than that. I'm going to go with Nico Price at plus 275. I'm just shocked that this line is this, is this high yeah. for a guy like Nico Price. I mean, uh, Jeff Neal undefeated so far in the UFC. He had a really good win against Bilal Muhammad last time out. Uh, and but Nico Price had that uh, really good win against Tim Means first round. That was um, with like that uh, part Anaconda where he started. Was it a go? No, it was, pl- it was a. Pu- it was just punches. He was on his back though, and he was punching from the back. Was that, but he that used was against his, Randy Brown. That, that was, was a different ago. one because he used his foot to almost yeah. kind of hold the head, and then he started punching the head. Yeah. It was pretty sick. I'm just shocked that the line is this high for Nico Price. Uh, so they know something it. we don't know, Aaron. Well, Jeff feels good, and it's hard to bet against uh, Fortis MMA in Dallas because they're just. Crushing everybody lately, aside from this past weekend where uh, Steven, Steven Peterson lost to um, Alex Caceres. You know what? Alex Caceres, the funny thing about him is he's like one of the flakiest guys in the UFC. Where like, I agree with you. Where like you just think he's... I picked him to win. Yeah, like you just like you pick him to win and he either disappoints you or you pick him to lose and he like ends up smoking ends up somebody. Winning. Yep. So it's always... this, this fight was like even money. Peterson comes out and beats him in the first round. Caceres breaks his hand in the first round and then goes on to win the next and two rounds. Wins, yeah. It's like Alex Caceres in a nutshell. Yeah. That's like that's that's him. But <laughs> that's like him right his there. opponent was just very, uh, I'm gonna say, lack of IQ when it comes to stand up fighting. Yeah, that's I, I saw a lot walking of walking in that. a straight line. You're getting after you get hit with a check hook one, two, three, four times. You keep walking into these check hooks like you're you're continually walking in a straight line. You're not drawing. That's what they call check hooks. You're checking. I'm <laughs> checking like, oh my himself. god! I was like, okay, yeah. man, you lost round two. Change up your strategy for for the third yeah, round. Yeah, guy's got a broken hand. And he keeps walking into straight line, eating the check hook, and then Caceres kept slipping away on, on the angle, circling on the outside, lead foot dominance. Like, that's north versus south, one, you know, 101. <laughs> like, I got, I got a little stressed out. Which is tough one. because his coach, Saif Sayud, is one of the, yeah. the, the big coaches right now, is doing big things at Fortis. What did you take from the fight? The one fight I was really interested to was the um, Trinaldo fight. Against Hernandez. Yeah, I thought Ronaldo won. So did I. But uh, so did I. You got the hometown judges. He's, he's from San Antonio. Hernandez. Hernandez, I feel, has got to be one of these kids that we build up a little well, slower. That was maybe. that was a really bad outing for him. Like I think if you asked him, what did you think of that outing? He would say, "I did not fight well." Yeah. No, but I mean, Ronaldo. No matter how old he is, where he's in division, he's an awkward southpaw. That's a tough guy to fight. He was landing those switch knees and those flying knees I was telling you yeah. about that have been fairly popular. Like he's just dangerous and unorthodox. Whoever he fights, he's gonna give a tough fight to. I mean, that's not a a, a fight that you want to give someone you're developing that's coming off of a loss. In my opinion, I mm-hmm. think Trinaldo's dangerous and he's a southpaw, awkward. I thought that was a terrible matchup. Yeah. So it's uh. But he, hey, whenever he got the win, however he got it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Two thirty twenty sevens. Yeah, you know? very very strange judge, uh, judging score. Yeah, he's he's going one. out on the media saying because I want my win bonus. You know, he's calling that he deserves his win bonus for that fight. Why wouldn't he get his win bonus? Uh, no, Trinaldo. Oh, lost. Trinaldo. You yeah. Mean. yeah, yeah, yeah. Trinaldo. Well, that's what happens when you go into someone's backyard, right? You just yeah. never know. 
like boxing one of the Klitschko's in Germany. Remember, people used to fight the Klitschko's yeah. like in, in different places in Good Europe, luck. and, and you just, you're just going to lose if you don't get yep. if you don't knock them out. You're going to lose. Good luck. Yeah, that's rough. That's boxing though. With those decisions, like the Pacquiao fight, was a split decision. I don't. Know. Yeah, yeah. Pacquiao might be on like the worst. Hand, like the on the other side of judging, he might be like have gotten the worst <laughs> luck sometimes. Oh yeah, with some of these decisions, I couldn't believe that split decision. Call. Yeah, yeah, but I was just it was shocked. it was at least better than the one that he had. Uh, who was the guy that, that he lost to that first time? And, he, and then he won the rematch. Marquez Bradley. Oh, Timothy. That Bradley. was a draw, wasn't it? No, he, he it was lost the decision. To Timothy Bra- Timothy Bradley, and I think like the the. You know, the that broadcaster was one of the worst that was doing the judges times. had him winning like 11 of 12 rounds yeah. or something. That was one of the worst yeah. I've seen. I just remember, I watched that fight. It ended, and I went up to bed. I went to go brush my teeth, and I went on Twitter and did a spit take with my toothpaste in my mouth yeah. that he yeah. lost the fight. I didn't even bother watching the decision. Yeah, I don't understand what boxing's doing. But then I spoke to some of my friends who cover boxing, and they said they could they could make a case for Bradley winning that fight. Yeah. 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 Whenever I judge boxing, I always say, like, I don't know what I'm talking about, but this is how I saw it. And then the judges have it the same way, and I'm like, oh, okay, well. Since there's always been controversy in boxing now, like, if I'm invested in a boxing fight, I'll just keep a notepad. Because, yeah. one, it's like, I can't remember 10 rounds. Right. By round seven, yeah. or 12. I can't remember who the heck won round one and two. I'm already thinking, I'm like, what the fighter has to do. I can't remember. So I literally just jot who I think's going to win. Like, even with a lot of these Canelo Triple G fights I did it for, like, yeah. I mean... They can go all over the place. Everyone's like, oh, Triple G down But I'm like, fight. I had Canelo draw. Like, I was like, what In the, the second fight or the first The first one. Yeah. I, I had Canelo winning the second. I had, I had, I had second. Canelo. Yeah. yeah, and even the second. This I mean, is the problem, though, with boxing. And the it's not boxing as a whole, but the broadcast. When you have a guy cage side that's doing their scorecards, like if you have Yes, it, whatever, it totally changes broadcast, your decision. You watch it through their eyes. Yeah. You don't watch it through your own eyes. Uh, and I find they didn't that do that. They, they didn't have any unofficial scorecards for the Pacquiao Thurman fight. What do you mean? Oh, there was oh, like no on the broadcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. there's no like Letterman's. Yeah, yeah. You know, unofficial I like that scorecard. better. I like, I like it better. too. But I mean, I like even when you watch the zone and stuff like that. I feel the zone is a little biased, fairly biased with their commentary, especially if you see Canelo fighting. Like they they protect their guys and well, they're course, all. They have to. Like about it, and I think it totally steers the pitcher away. I mean, I probably have to do that sometimes too, based on the company and the things. But I try not to, man. I never want to be that person. But yeah, it it's happens. A, it's a it's a flaw. You defend it. You got to protect you, the company. You do the rounds guys. too in Glory, right? Like when you, when they they ask you for your scorecards, right? Yeah, but the yeah. good thing about Glory is we have open scoring now, right? So, so everybody at matter. home and in the yeah. arena can see, which I kind of like. And doesn't Glory have five judges sometimes? Most of the time, it's yeah, five. Yeah, I was three last time when I watched in Orlando. Yeah, Orlando was three. I was even shocked about it, but um, and I don't. Was it open scoring in Orlando? Um, open scoring for TV, but not for the audience. Oh, really? Yeah. Why do they do that? Uh, it's just the way the commission in Florida didn't allow open scoring. But we can do open scoring for the TV. <laughs> they had their bare knuckle event. They made them wear gloves that their knuckles were exploding. Yeah. I mean, I Florida There's a weird commission. Florida commission, Texas commission. Yeah. We want five. I mean, what's wrong with that? We'll pay for the other two. Yeah. We're going to get better results out of it. I, I like mean, it. I know Rogan has been a massive advocate yeah. for that. I think five is great. I, I also don't think it's bad to have a panel of people watching at home where they could almost watch the... The fight from the broadcast, you know, yeah. and seeing the angles, the fight differently. And then all they got to do is, like, if you put 50 people at home deciding A or B, A is fighter A, B is black corner, yeah. whatever you want, and then you have 55 people judging it, you're going to get a closer answer than you are having right. three. Yeah, three is true. brutal. Yeah. 
Three I, is one. You know, one out of the three, it's a split decision right away. You're like, what the heck? Yeah. That's not fair. I just think that the, I think that in MMA that the scoring system is flawed. Like oh, the yeah. 10-9 system makes no sense to me because um, at least in kickboxing, if you knock someone down, it's a 10-8. Or if it's a dominant round, like you get the... You know, usually it's a given that it's a 10-8 if there's a knockdown. Yeah. In MMA, it's, like, very gray. Like, it's a very gray area decision. Yeah. Because they don't really count a knockdown as a knockdown in MMA, right? If I knock you down with a straight right, it's not guaranteed a 10-8 round. Yeah, exactly. Which is stupid. It is stupid. But I also think that that's why I like decimal. I like if you did decimals. I like if you did, like, that was a 10 to 8 and a half round because the guy got knocked down. And then at least you get some diversity in scores as well. But I don't know, whatever. This, and they need some really striking-based guys. I swear to you, I as as a low kicker, I'm proud of being a low kicker. I, I support and I, I'm in the, the low kick movement. I'm all for it. But they do not score low kicks as a scoring strike, and it drives me nuts. Yeah, You never see it. I mean, a guy, no, no action's happening. Low kick, low kick. He's hitting it. He's hitting it. And then they're not talking about it. I was like, how are you not talking about it? That's the only strike that's landing. It's like touching the body. You're touching a scoring target. Mm-hmm. That's a point. And it's then whenever it's like a big point. body kick, it looks more painful because the yeah. guy like wins. It's like, oh, big body. You know. Yeah. Stresses me out. Oh well. So we need you, more. You gotta get your judging uh, license. I should. I should. <laughs> I don't know if I would like it though. No. I don't know if I would like it. But I mean, if it's if it if there was a, a big organization in Canada that had a lot of fighters, I probably would do something. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't want to be a ref. Judge more. Mm-hmm. I think refing's hard, man. I don't want to be hard. put myself in that situation. Yeah. Refing uh, is hard. People don't uh, give it enough credit. I guess. Oh, no I guess way. when a ref makes enough mistakes, you kind of start to get a stigma around you. But. Uh, and I, if you watch Mazagati stuff, but what's he a really, mistake? Mazagati protecting really, a fighter a well, little bit. Mazagati was just damaged. a really bad ref. Like if you watch, I saw a gif this week. I forget who it was. I think it was Eve Edwards versus uh, Josh Thompson, and Mazagati's just like staring at him while like Edwards is just basically like hitting an emotionless body like four times. Mazagati's just watching. Yeah. Like, I don't know. Well, anyhow, yeah. I, I got to get you to the gym. So uh, let's it. wrap this baby up. Let's go. Uh, TSN.ca slash UFC, all of our coverage for uh, Edmonton. You can also check out my stuff on uh, at Aaron Bronstetter on Twitter. And now I'm uh, more active on Instagram. So. Yeah, I saw that. You're yeah. adding little clips from the, the podcast. You're, I like it. Yeah, for sure. It's really good. Keep it up. Absolutely. I'll do my best. Especially and, uh, in Edmonton. I want to see some behind-the-scenes stuff. And yeah. Yeah. Show us, Aaron, what goes on back there. All right, I'll do Let my best. Let us know. I gotta get more. I gotta get more into this. This, uh, you know, the state of mind, the Instagram state of mind. Yeah, I um, mean, all your other stuff, like those interviews and stuff. Why not throw it on Instagram? That's what I'm gonna too? do. I'm gonna cut them down to less than a minute and put. But like, even you can do more, and then all of a sudden, um, after a minute, it'll say keep watching because they have Instagram TV now. They have that, okay? Yeah, so you can upload a two minute video, but or five minute video, ten minute video, oh, really? but only the first minute will play on your feed. And then it'll say, keep watching after really? a minute. Wow, and you kick okay. the keep watching and you do it. So you don't like even have that. to edit So that. you upload it as Instagram. Do you need to have a verified account for that or no? No. You, everyone does. Like, watch, um, you know, Robin Black's videos. They're usually over a minute. Really? Okay. And then after a minute, it'll it'll stop the video. And then, like, a little okay, icon will pop up and it'll I'm, say, keep watching. Yeah, I'm going to test that out when I'm done. That's great. Yeah. That's good news. I will, no, upro- it is, I will upload everything don't waste, Yeah, because it's easy. You yeah. don't have to overstress. It's quick. And I know you do a lot of your video stuff on your phone, too. Yeah. So, boom. Just yeah. uploading. And I'm starting those. to use Headliner also. I like Headliner. What's Headliner? That's the thing that I make those podcast recap uh, videos with. 
Okay, you gotta yeah. you gotta show me what it it's is. A, it's only on computers though. You can't. They don't have it on the phone. Okay, but yeah. Anyhow, right. I'll let you get out of here. Bazooka kickboxing at six eighty progress. Yep, six eighty that. unit one. That's it. And, and there I you go. Teaching tonight. What's I your latest it. YouTube video? Um, I've been a little slow on it because of all the travel, but uh, it was uh, defending encountering in mid range. I have a combination coming. I'm gonna try a new um, a new strategy. I'm gonna film some of my drills that I teach in my actual classes. So I'm gonna see if you guys enjoy that. So wait for that on YouTube. Put those on Instagram, Joe. Now that there's Instagram TV, you can put the whole thing. Uh, no, out there. I know, but I don't wanna give all my stuff. Come on, my whole. You you mean my whole episode? Yeah. Yeah, true. And then have it like linked to your YouTube yeah. page. But I want people to go to YouTube. Why? Well, Why not you get just the ads? In? I get an extra couple oh, cents. Oh, that's true. That's you true. get a couple that's extra fair. cents, but I mean, yeah. That's to fair. me, it's more about people watching it than anything. But sure. I should. At but least I also don't want to. It's only going to be there for a day. I right? don't like bombarding people with. Um, that's fair. I try to use different my different social media that you can follow me on all platforms, and you're going to get something different on each. I don't like to have the yeah. same thing across. What I all. think you should do is when you have a YouTube video, like let's say it's like defending a check hook. Yeah. Do a one minute version of it that's completely different that says that goes on. Yeah. That goes I usually on Instagram do something that says, like that. "Hey, go to my YouTube page. You can watch the whole." Video. I usually do that. Yeah. All right. Cool. Most well, of the times, the I always do that. Then. Yeah. All right, Joe. I'll get you to the gym. Boom. I'll see you next week. Yes, sir. Thanks for listening to the TSN MMA show. For all the latest UFC news, visit tsn.ca slash UFC.